Good morning, Rogers Park. My name is Phil Adams. I'm a church planting pastor over in Devon Avenue. It is my joy to bring um, God's Word to you this morning. We are going to get into God's Word this morning. I can tell you it is going to be fast-paced and it is going to be plentiful, so buckle up your seats. Um, If I have as much passion as Reverend Michael Curry did yesterday at the royal wedding, we'll be doing okay. But this morning, I want you to look out for three things. I want you to look out for the mission of God. I want you to look out for the mission of Christ. And I want you to look out for the mission of the church, the mission of God, the mission of Christ, and mission of the church. And I have one truth to share with you this morning, that being engaged, that being engaged in the global mission of the church is a matter of Christ-likeness. That being engaged in the global mission of the church is not a matter of preference, it's a matter of personal holiness. Let's pray. God, we come to your word this morning and we just come expectantly, God, and we come asking, God, that you would speak into our hearts. God, we desperately need you. So God, would you speak to us today in your name? Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to the very beginning. Turning your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the very first book in the Bible. The first two chapters of your Bible are unlike all other chapters in the Bible. Uh, They show us a time that no other chapters in the Bible show us, and for this reason they are incredibly precious. The first two chapters in your Bible show us the world without sin. They show us the world unbroken without pain. They show us a world that is innately good in every way. When I was a kid, I would hear people um, talk about how God created the world and, and every day God made something. He made the sky and he made the land and he made the people and then he would take a step back and it would say, and God saw that it was good. And I don't know about you, when I was a kid, I would always go, good? <laughs> like not great? Not, not, not awesome or, or incredible? <laughs> Until I learned and I realized that What God is saying over his creation, which is awesome and is incredible, that God was seeing not how spectacular his creation was, but how the character of his creation was innately good. Its character and its morality was innately good as opposed to tarnished and broken. God's creation was right. It was just as it was meant to be. It was good. So what we, what we have by the time we get to chapter 2 in our Bible is a world that is good, and God has placed Adam and Eve into that world, and more specifically, he's placed them into a garden with this command. In chapter 1, verse 28, God says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. Chapter 1, verse 28. And it's in this verse at the very beginning of our Bibles that we get the first hint at the intention of God for his creation. We see the vision of God out of which flows the mission of God, out of which flows our mission. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Before sin entered the world, there was no pain, but there was purpose. And that purpose was given to mankind was to see the whole earth singing. 
And what I mean by that is that the purpose and mission given to Adam and Eve and their children was to multiply and to push out from the garden and see the whole of God's good world flourishing in every way. Let me put it like this. God created the most beautiful, largest, most complex, innately good musical instrument when he made the world. And in the garden, he handed this instrument over to Adam and Eve and said, go tune it, learn it, play it. Go disperse and multiply over the whole earth, enjoy it until the whole earth exists, throbbing with joy and beauty, finely tuned with people in every corner of the globe, singing to the glory of God, finding incomparable delight in his creation and the creator. So Adam and Eve, as they walked in the garden with God, they weren't given a job to laboriously complete. They were given an opportunity to express themselves, to express that innately human desire to worship and adore. Because no matter how beautiful this world could ever be, no matter how beautiful this world can ever be, no matter how beautiful Adam and Eve and their descendants could make this world, no matter how finely tuned and flourishing, no matter the glory found in seeing all of the nations singing in all diversity and all unity, no matter the creativity in cities like Chicago, no matter the magnificence of a summer in Chicago, this world could only ever be it could only ever be a response to the unmatchable glory of God. Do you know what makes God look beautiful? When we realize we're gonna run out of beauty that we can compare him to. The most beautiful shines the brightest when it is seen in comparison to lesser beautiful things. And if the lesser beautiful thing is an entire world flourishing with perfect sunsets and mountain ranges and humanity living in perfect harmony, if that is the lesser beautiful thing, how beautiful must God be? God looks beautiful when the beauty of this world to the highest degree is seen as only a fraction of the unmatchable beauty of God. The vision of God in Genesis chapter 1 is to see a world finely tuned and flourishing without sin, with all the beauty it can muster running on full steam and yet still only being a signpost pointing at the incomparable God of all beauty and all glory. With the cry of humanity being he is worth it all. in which we find the opportunity and the purpose and the joy that we were created for. That is the vision of God out of which flows the mission of God. But Adam and Eve took us all on a different path. Why would Adam and Eve choose a different path? I would suggest to you this morning it's the same reason that we do. When Adam and Eve were lured by the lie of the serpent, they ate the forbidden fruit, and their motivation was not to make a name for God. Their, their motivation was to make a name for themselves. And the consequence of this we see clearly when five chapters later, we don't see a world that's flourishing. We read in Genesis chapter 6, five chapters later, that the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled not with flourishing. The earth was filled with violence. 
see this, that in Genesis chapter 1, God wants to see the earth filled with beauty and flourishing. And by the time we get five chapters later to Genesis chapter 6, Adam and Eve have taken us all on a different path, and we filled it with violence. So God sends a flood, and he wipes away all the violence. And by his grace, he lays one family again. Noah and his wife, and Noah's three sons and their wives, and God protects them in a boat until the waters subside. And once they are out on dry land, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, a new day has dawned. Adam and Eve's mistake is behind them. God gives humanity another chance. And he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The exact same words that he gave to Adam and Eve. And in Genesis 10, we read a list of the sons of Noah and how these sons have become like the heads of nations. And we see these sons and their consequent nations underneath them were spreading over the face of the earth. They are being fruitful and they are multiplying. Things are looking hopeful. And we get to Genesis 11, verse 2, and it says, As they migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. Why did the sons of Noah stop and settle when they were made to go? When they were made to go. We see the answer two verses later in Genesis 11, verse 4, where they said this, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower, and with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. If there ever was a sentence that summed up the human sinful condition that holds us back from the global mission of God, it must be this sentence. Let us stay here and make a name for ourselves. You know, it's not unusual to live in Chicago and to live on the move. People coming and going, climbing ladders, falling down ladders. It's common in our church to live a life on the move, looking for our next opportunity. But the question I want to ask this morning is, are we living lives that are sent? And the distinction I'm making between living a life on the move and living a life that is sent is that when we are living a life on the move, we have not stopped yet trying to make a name for ourselves. Lives on the move are lives pointing at themselves. Lives sent are lives pointing at God. The vision of God in Genesis chapter 1 is grounded on a people whose life's work is grounded on making much of God, not making much of themselves. And in that we find opportunity and we find purpose and we find the joy for which we were created. But as we push out of Genesis to Exodus, the second book of the Bible, and Deuteronomy, the third book in the Bible, and we keep going through the Old Testament, we see that the vision of God did not change to see a world flourishing in worship. But we also see that our sinful hearts didn't change either. This is a book about a God who is stuck on a mission and his people who are stuck in their sin. But more than that, this is a book about a God who is so stuck on his mission that he'll do anything to unstuck his people from their sin. We've discovered the mission of God. Now to look at the mission of Christ. There's a clear 
narrative that has probably become the most common lens through which the gospel, at least, at least historically, has been preached, that God came, that Christ came to save us from our sins, and that is true. Don't worry. Christ came to save us from our sins, and yet we are only saved from God's righteous judgments if we are found in the right. And all through the Old Testament, you read it, and this summer we're going to be in the book of Judges, and you're going to wonder, are God's people ever able to be found in the right? It seems doubtful. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus took all of our wrong, and he gave us all of his righteousness. So the result of judgment would be declare us innocent and right. Paul writes in Colossians, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. This is the mission of Christ. Jesus came so that we would be hidden in his righteousness, so that righteousness is what we are. Righteousness is what God sees us to be because we are clothed in, covered in, hidden in the righteousness of Christ. And yet there is a tension you will know in your life in the fact that although righteous is what we are in his sight, our lives on this earth are still broken in sin. Our actions and our thoughts are still broken by sin. We are still motivated by a desire to make a name for ourselves. But one day, one day we will be fully transformed into the image of Christ. And then our lives will be aligned with our status. Our motivations in our lives will be aligned with our status. But until that day comes, we're going through a process, the process of seeing our actions and our thoughts and our motivations begin to align with who we are in Christ. In Colossians 3, Paul's right, put to death what is earthly in you and put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. It's a matter of taking off the old and putting on the new. It's a matter of taking off the old and putting on the new. It's a matter of taking off our sin and putting on Christ. Christ came to see us become more and more like himself until we one day will, we will be presented holy and blameless just like Christ. He came to make us right again. That is the mission of Christ. So why am I talking about this on Global Sunday? Because being engaged in the global mission of the church is a matter of Christ-likeness. Being engaged in the global mission of the church is not a matter of personal preference, a matter of personal holiness. It's a matter of being made right again. Yes, your self-control. Yes, your sexuality. Yes, your ability to hold back. Yes, your ability to have patience is a matter of Christ-likeness. But so is your engagement in the advancement of the gospel to where it has not yet been heard. Let me explain this. In Colossians 1.15, this is what it says of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, for in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. What this means is that we cannot disconnect the heart of God from the heart of Christ. And I'm throwing a lot of things at you this morning, so please bear with me. And if, you're, if you've been sleeping, wake up now, because I don't want you to miss the rest. When we read the commission of God in Genesis chapter 1, go and multiply and fill the earth, and then we read the great commission of Christ in Matthew chapter 28, when he says to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, we are reading the same heart. 
Genesis chapter 1, Matthew chapter 28, God in chapter 1, Jesus in Matthew 28, we are reading the same heart and it's saying this, it's saying go, disperse and multiply over the earth until the whole earth exists throbbing with joy and beauty, finally tuned with people in every corner of the globe singing to the glory of God. But the difference But the difference in the Great Commission in Genesis chapter 1, go and multiply and fill the earth, and Matthew 28, when Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, is that human flourishing can no longer happen through multiplication because we are multiplying sin. Human flourishing can only happen through transformation, and transformation only comes through faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and faith and trust in Jesus Christ only comes and can only happen if you have heard of Jesus Christ, if you know who he is. If you have someone to ask, if you have a neighbor or a colleague to talk to, if you have a church that you can find, if you have a tract you can read, if you have a Bible in your language, faith and trust in Jesus Christ can only happen if you have opportunity to hear of Jesus Christ and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of people in our world don't. Millions and millions of people have no opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus. Countries like Turkey, where there's 7,000 believers in a country of 80 million people who on their own have no viable way to make the good news of Jesus accessible before their fellow countrymen and fellow women live and die without hearing that there ever was a gospel to hear. The question we have to ask ourselves this morning as we choose to sit here this morning is, is are we really taking off the old self and putting on the new? Are we really someone living with a new heart? Are we really someone living with new motivations? Here comes the mission of the church. Nowhere in the New Testament is the taking off of the old and putting on the new more obvious than in the transformation that took place in the life of the Apostle Paul. Paul was a man that he, and he was devoted to the destruction of the church. That was what motivated him in the morning. Until one day, Paul set off to Damascus, a city in Syria, and, and as he was going, Christ appeared to him and it took one interaction with the risen Christ to transform Paul's life. After going blind seeing Jesus, it says scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. What was old became new. Paul went on to lead the early church away from their focus on one nation to their focus on all nations. And he wrote in a letter, wrote to the Christians in Rome. This is the letter, the book of Romans that you have in your New Testament. And Paul wrote in the book of Romans And he starts to lay the groundwork for Christ to be preached in Spain for the very first time. And he gives away his strategy to seeing the gospel advance. Romans 15, 20, Paul writes this, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those 
who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul's heart was to share Christ with those that had no opportunity to hear. And if you read Romans 15, you you will read Paul refer to regions or areas as checked off his list. He'll say the ministry has been fulfilled in such and such a location. And what Paul is saying is he is not saying that every person in that region or in that location has become follower of Christ. He is saying that he has seen enough come to know Jesus that a local church has been formed so that he knows that when he continues on to the next place, the advance of the gospel will not only continue where he is going, but the advance of the gospel will continue where he has been. When he knows that the advance of the gospel will continue without him, he says the ministry has been fulfilled and continues to propel himself with the gospel to those that have never heard. South Rogers Park, where did he get that idea? Where did he get the idea of movement? Where did he get the idea of dispersing and going and being sent and not stopping and settling until the whole earth knows He got it from God in Genesis chapter 1. He got it from Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he got it from the Holy Spirit within him, renewing, making the old man new. God, the entire Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, never wanted to see a people who remained static. He always wanted a people who were sent. Before sin, God's people were sent. Before sin, God's people were sent. So as we take off sin and we put on Christ, we will see that engaging in the global mission of the church is not a matter of preference, but a matter of holiness. It's a matter of being made right again. The Apostle Paul infused the early church with a DNA of movement and sentness through his letters, through his correspondence, his recruiting others to go. But church, please hear me. He cared deeply about the local churches that he planted, churches just like this. He wrote letters to them so that their marriages would flourish. He wanted to see these churches loving one another, even churches in cities he'd never visited. He wanted to see them walking in holiness. If he had known about this continent... He would have wanted to see a local church right here in Rogers Park and he would be rejoicing with us that we're here. But what he never did when he wrote his letters was let his readers forget that the local church is a sent church made up of sent people. Propelling the gospel across the world to those that have not heard and will not hear unless we engage in telling them. That is the mission of the church. After the flood, the sons of Noah traveled for a little while. And then they stopped and they settled. I know the desire of Park. And I know the desire of the video that we watched is to say we have not stopped. We will continue to push out to tell those in our world that have no opportunity to hear so that they might hear because he's worth it all. Some of you know 
just as I close, some of you know, before Ruth and I moved to Chicago, we were living in a little city called Dandong uh, in China, just on the border of, of North Korea. And there was a leader there, or a lady there, that our team leaders worked with. And uh, her name was Mrs. J. Mrs. J was from, from North Korea, and she, she smuggled herself and her sons out of, out of North Korea into China when life became too hard. And when she came to China, she, she heard of Jesus for the very first time. And she gave her life to Jesus, and then she had a choice to make. She could stay in China, get herself a fake ID, live out her days, or she could go back. And she said, I need to go back to North Korea because I need to tell my friends and my family because they don't know. So she went back and she spent some time sharing Christ and she was, put in, she was arrested after some time and she was put in prison for two years. She got out, she smuggled herself back over to, to China and she had another choice to make. Will I live out my days in China or will I go back? And she said, I need to go back. So she went back to North Korea and she spent some time sharing Christ and then she was arrested again and she was sentenced to 14 years of hard labor in North Korea just a few miles from where we lived. This morning, Mrs. J is still in prison in North Korea. Why am I telling you this story as I close? I'm telling it to you because we are going to send some people in this room to engage in reaching the unreached. And you're going to meet warriors like Mrs. J. And most likely, she isn't going to have to keep up with you. You'll have to keep up with her. But as you keep up with her, and as you learn, I pray as a church that we will go with you and that we will all learn. We are not driving the mission of God. God is. And he's saying, come play a part. Be sent, send, Come and serve. Learn from our brothers and sisters around the world. Learn a language. Go sit and listen to Bilge in Turkey. Ask them questions. Help Bilge and Silve, Sylvia pick up their kids from school. Get a job in Istanbul. Take them out for dinner. Go visit them. Encourage them. Pray for them. Find your part. Play your part. And those who have never been told of him will see. And those who have never heard will understand.